0: Welcome to the John Nuzo Leadership Podcast. Hey, thanks so much for joining us this month in the podcast. Uh, This is a two-part podcast. I want to talk to you about some things that are pretty deep and deep-seated in the way you live your everyday life. And I want to talk to you about responding to the fact that God made you needy. Now, that may not sound like a very deep subject, so please stick with me, because I think if you'll delve into this, it will not only help you lead your organization— or whatever thing you're called to lead well uh, and more effectively, but will also help you to identify lids that otherwise you won't be able to see. And maybe even more importantly, it will help you on a personal level to live out the life that you're truly called to live in your everyday life. Here's the reality. God made you needy. Now, you're responding to me saying that in several ways, and we'll get to those responses here in a minute. And I, I don't want to go to those responses. I'd, I'd rather you feel them. So maybe it would help you identify them more specifically as we get to them. But let me start in Genesis 2. I'm going to read verse 18, then verse 21 through 25. Genesis 2 18. And the Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Let me stop there and let's recognize this. God said, It's not good for man to be alone. Everything else he created, He said it was good until he made man. Now, this is a very important thing to remember. Even Adam's relationship with God would not meet his needs in certain areas of his life. He had an intimate relationship with God. He talked with him, walked with him in the cool of the day. And yet there was something in the makeup of man that God designed that God himself chose not to be able to meet for us. Thus, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Then in verse 21, he said this, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place of the flesh, and the Lord God made a woman from the rib, which he had taken out of the man. He brought it to the man, and he said, and the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Verse 24, For this reason, A man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they'll be one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I want to delve into this a little bit because when you begin to understand your makeup and your design, it will help you to be able to live within that design more effectively. Here's the reality God made us with needs, He made us needy. He made us so needy that He actually chose not to enable us to have those needs met by our relationship with him. And what we have a tendency to do in life is to try to meet the needs that only people can meet in our life through external things. See, God said, I'll make a person that will meet these needs for you. Not a business, not a thing, not a hobby, not money, not not success, not even a ministry. God designed a person, God designed people to meet your intimacy needs. And I want to use that term, intimacy needs. I've, I've Many books that I've read have covered this. I wish I could give credit, but I don't remember all the places where I've learned these things. Uh, but the, the greatest places in my everyday life by trying to apply them. But all of us, all of us have intimacy needs. Now, I want to give you just 11 of them. Every human being has these. Now, you may hear this and say, I don't have that but we'll get to that in a minute, so stick around. God made you to need acceptance, approval, respect, encouragement, affection, attention, security, significance, appreciation. God made you to have comfort and support. Now, here's what God said. I intended for these intimacy needs initially to be met by your father and mother. And then when you Get married, you're to abandon your father and mother, not with dishonor, but in the context of now cleaving to your spouse to get these intimacy needs met. For example, the reason people have trouble when they get married with in-laws is because their spouse is still looking to their parents for approval, for respect, for affirmation. And so they're unable to make decisions without their permission per se because they don't want to lose their approval. And it it devastates your your marital relationship. So here's the reality. All of us were designed by God to get these needs met in our home. But we know that God made man in his image. and And he made him male and female. And so in the context of the home, we know that God intended for these needs to be met in the full image of God, both male and female. Because the image of God is not male. The image of God is not female. The image of God in man is male and female combined. So we see the work of of our enemy, God's enemy, Satan, doing this work in human beings. His work is to distort the image of God in you. That's why the home and the destruction of the home has been such a target for the enemy. Because he can distort the image of God in your upbringing. All of us have had less than ideal childhoods. Some of you listening to this grew up abused, maybe physically or, or verbally or even sexually. Maybe perhaps you had a parent abandon you. Or maybe you had a parent who was so oppressive and overbearing that it was just, you could never make them happy. The list can go on and on. In our upbringing, we all have these needs. And when those needs are not met, deficits occur. In other words, let's just say, for example, you need security, and all of us do. But you are abandoned by a parent. My wife, for example, when her father abandoned their family, threw them into abject poverty. And her feeling and need for security was now not only not met, it was destroyed. She was absolutely abandoned by her dad. And all an eight-year-old little girl can do is figure there's something wrong with me. Eight-year-olds don't think, hey, man, something must be going on with my dad. He has problems. He has issues. All an eight-year-old can presume, what's wrong with me? Why am I not good enough to be loved by my own father? And it devastated my sh- my wife. It caused her need for security to to not only be met but to be completely disregarded. Her need to be accepted, her her need to be have attention and affection. It disappeared completely from her father by her father. And it left her with massive deficits. Now here's the danger. We go into leadership and we go into marriage with these deficits. And if we're not careful, we will place unsustainable burdens on our relationships. Our husband, our wife, our friends, our family, even those with whom we work that, that we have a relationship with, are really designed by God to meet these needs in our lives And that when, when the relationships are healthy. But here's what I want you to get. When you get married, that now is the primary place that both of you should get these needs met. But what happens when two people get married that both have deficits? What often happens is we expect the other person to meet that deficit, and no human can do that. I can provide for my wife an appropriate level of support and security and affection and attention and comfort and acceptance and approval. But I cannot cure the deficit. If Michelle begins to believe that I should be making her feel better about those things, before long, her only conclusion is, John doesn't love me. If he loved me, I wouldn't feel this way. And for most men, when we can't win, we quit. So no matter how hard you try, you can't fix a deficit. And the same's for your wife with you, if you're a man. But here's the dangerous part. Until we learn that only God can deal with the deficits, we will require those around us to try to make it better. And it will put such an unsustainable burden on marriages. I'm convinced that most marriages fail long before the couple ever met. They come into marriage with these deficits, and then they, we, we place these false expectations on the relationship, and we put pounds and weight on, on a relationship in a marriage that was never designed to carry, and it breaks it. And when we try to meet these needs, these relational needs, outside of the reality of healthy relationships. We'll bring relational pain into our life. We'll bring even relational destruction, not only into our lives, but the organizations or the groups or teams that we lead. For In order for me to cover this well with you, I want to be able to take my time and maybe help you delve into some of these things, to maybe get some answers as to why is it that I'm always unhappy about this? Why is it that no matter where I go, I feel this? No matter when something good happens, I never feel that it's good. Or maybe you're just the opposite. You can't deal with any problems, and you live in a fantasy world, and you ignore problems. If you don't know why you do what you do, you're, you're destined to, c- to continue the behavior. And then what you'll try to do is create a world in your own image. You see, God made man in his image, and man returned the favor. We live in a world today where men and women are trying to create a God in their image. And when you're hurt and when you're in pain, you will try to create a world in your image. Though it may be distorted, though the way you live your life may be distorted and and broken, but it's normal to you. It's, it's, It's the way you live. I like to say it this way. When we're relationally broken, because our relational needs were not met in our family of origin, then we live the rest of our life taking even God's word and we bend the light. I want to take a moment and talk to you about that. And, and next, next month, I'm going to delve into how these areas affect your leadership, because they do. And let me say it this way, they already are. But let me talk to you just a minute about bending the light. If you ever look into a prism, it will bend the light and it will turn it different colors Even though light is pure, when it goes through something, that a a prism of sorts, it bends it. We can take the truth of what God says. And if what we have experienced in life bends the light, because his word is, is a lamp to our feet or a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. His word is pure. It is an incorruptible seed. It is It will abide forever, though heaven and earth will be removed. But what happens when we bend the light? The very source of freedom. Jesus said the truth will make you free. My word is truth. What if the way you process the word of God bends the light? Then the only vehicle given by God through which you can obtain ongoing freedom in your everyday life becomes unusable. Let me give you an example. 1 Corinthians 2 talks about having the mind of Christ. But before it says, but we have the mind of Christ, it gives us comparisons of how we take what God has promised. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, it's not even entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. But God has revealed them, those things, to us by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, even the deep things of God. And he's referring to God revealing to us what he has prepared for those who love him. But then he shows us different prisms through which that light can be bent. And I'm going to give you an example that for many of you in ministry, that you'll be able to understand and apply immediately. Let me give you the four that you'll find in 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 16. He said there's the spirit of God and then there's the spirit of this world. He talked about God's wisdom or human wisdom. He talked about the thoughts of God, the thoughts of men. He talked about spiritual truth with spiritual words versus subjective truth with natural words. You see, even though the Spirit of God may be moving, Paul wrote the Church of Corinth and said, we've not been given the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit of God. But he wouldn't have told us that if we didn't have the ability to yield and bring the truth of what God has revealed through the spirit of this age, through the spirit of this world, coupling it with human wisdom, with the thoughts of men, with a subjective truth that comes out and conferred, and if you will, confirmed with just natural words. But rather, he said, I want you to take my word and have it breathed upon and taught to you by the teacher of the church, the spirit of God, who will give you God's wisdom, which are the thoughts of God, and then you will take those spiritual truths and you will speak them out of your mouth. And the governance of your heart, your heart being governed by what you believe in the word and it being unadulterated and, and not, not broken or bent, you'll begin to proclaim it out of your mouth. And Jesus said, in fact, the scripture in Romans says this, for with the heart man believes and with the mouth confession is made unto When we have these broken areas of our life, we bend the light. We bend things that God brings to us. Let me give you an example. Let me, and this happened several times through the years when I would travel and speak in churches. Let me give you one example. Years ago, I was speaking in a church, and a young man who was on staff who was an associate pastor split the church. He took a good amount of people, probably 30% of the church, Literally went three to two, three miles away and started another church. And, and, And if Jesus stood in front of him, he would have told you that Jesus told him to do it. He would have said that that unethical thing that he did, that ungodly thing that he did, was ordained of God. And he would have been convinced that it was true. And let me tell you how it happened. Something that was true in his life was bent. The light became bent. Let me give you the example. He has a call on his life. He's gifted. He's called to preach and to teach the word of God. He's called to lead people. And the pastor, in developing this young man, starts to give him an opportunity to speak. Well, after his fourth or fifth time speaking, somebody who's somewhat disgruntled in the church pulls him aside. He doesn't know the motive. He's too young to know these things about people. And he says things like this. I just want you to know God's hand is so mightily upon your life. Now, that's a wonderful thing. But then then he says this. Now, don't take this wrong. Please don't take this wrongly. And when people say that, take it wrongly. Don't take this wrongly, but uh, I'd rather listen to you than the pastor. I'm telling you that the the anointing on your life is is stronger than his. Now, if the young man's wise or the young woman is wise, they'll reject that as foolishness and and, and realize that that flattery is not very beneficial. But, But, you know, they're young and, wow, I'm anointed. And so, you know, they, they over, over a couple-year period of time, they, you know, nothing's perfect on a church staff, and the pastor's having to correct this young man, and sometimes it, it, it's done well, and sometimes it's not ideal, and there's a little bit of, you know, tension because people are human, and, and he's on his, you know, preaching again, and here comes this guy, and he says this. This is, this is not hypothetical. I'm telling you something that I know happened because I talked to the young man later. And thank God, the young man got restored and uh, and 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 was able to move outside of this ungodly behavior. Here comes the guy again, same thing, and just happened to be when the pastor was having to do, actually put some correction into this young man's life and help him. And he didn't like the correction; he didn't quite understand it yet. But here comes this guy, tells them the same thing again, and then he says, "This, you know, look, I, I just feel like." I feel like I have a liberty to talk to you. Can I speak to you in confidence? And any of you on staff at the church, you know the answer is, no, you cannot. Anything you've told me, you're telling anybody above me in the organization. There is no confidentiality in that regard here. However, he says, yes. And the man said, look, you know, there's about eight or nine of us who just feel like pastor so-and-so is, he just doesn't flow like he used to. And we feel like that his time is up, but but there's no way he's ever going to walk away. We feel like if if you you and your wife would just pray about starting a church, we would all go with you and we'll support you. And And you know, most of us are, we're the big tithers in the church and you'll be able to have a salary day one. And that young man, instead of understanding how crazy that is, he said he begins to pray about it. And before long, he comes back and says, yeah, the Lord told me to do it. And so he goes, and this group of people go, and they undermine what's happening in a church, and they bring division, and they start calling people. And before long, a couple hundred people are a mile down the road in a church that's better than the one they left. So what happened? There's a young man that the Holy Spirit called, who God called in his wisdom to be under an older pastor, and he wanted them to learn spiritual truths and the thoughts of God and to develop in a safe place so he could speak God's words. But that call became bent through his need for acceptance and approval and his his need for attention. These are normal needs, but these inordinate desires caused this young man to hear the worst. And sure enough, what did he do? He took the call of God and he bent it. And he no longer was possessing and walking in the mind of Christ. But now he's walking in the spirit of this world, of this age, coupled with human wisdom and the thoughts of men and subjective truth with natural words that brought destruction to many people. You see, I want to, in our next month, to kind of bring you into the three unhealthy ways that we respond to being needy. Of course, you can apply them relationally, but next month I'm going to apply them in the context of leadership. It's my hope that as you let these truths settle into your heart, that the Holy Spirit will teach you and help you to live in freedom in your everyday life so that you can healthily lead the organization or the group or the team that God's called you to lead. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the podcast this month. I'm looking forward to next month and uh, when we follow this through and uh, as we all seek to do our very best to lead in a godly way and to change our world. God bless you. I'll see you next month. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Your reviews expand our reach. So if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please take time to rate and review us. We look forward to having you with us on the next episode of the John Muzo Leadership Podcast.